0: We might not all be religious but there's a lot of belief in spiritual things out there i was listening to a podcast the other day that i thought was super fascinating it was the story of jack daniels the whiskey distiller but it was the story of the person who taught jack daniels how to distill whiskey and this was a man who had been formerly enslaved and after he was emancipated He became one of the best distillers around and actually taught Jack Daniels how to distill whiskey. And so his story was discovered. It's actually, you know, on the website, you can find it at Jack Daniels, but nobody had made much of it until this person found the story and delved into it and actually bought the farm where this person taught, uh, Uncle Nearest taught Jack Daniels how to distill whiskey and now has started a distillery in his name it's just a fascinating story about how all of this developed but at one point she was saying that she really felt pushed forward in her work and she said i could just feel the spirits of uncle nearest and jack daniels pushing me on and i thought well one of jack daniels spirits might be involved but i'm really not sure that the spirit of jack daniels is egging you on But she had introduced the spiritual into this human interest story about distilling whiskey. And then I was watching a HGTV show the other day. And as they were rehabbing this house, they pulled open a wall and they reached in and they found this odd little shoe thing that was tied up in a peculiar way. And one of the people there said, Oh my gosh, that's like a talisman that was put in there to ward off evil spirits. And everybody on this show all of a sudden was like, Oh, bad juju there. we got to make sure that that gets replaced. Otherwise, who knows what's going to happen in this house? A bunch of irreligious people freaked out over a shoe. Somebody who is going into the distilling business, believing that the spirit of Jack Daniels, was pushing her forward. We might not all be religious, but there's a real sense that there's something spiritual out there. I was listening on a positive sense to uh, a, a story the other day about three years ago when that Thai soccer team went into the cavern and they got stuck in there for like seven days because of rain. And as they went through what the rescue happened, how they were doing it, all the things that were coming together, the big thing that they kept coming back to was that the thing that allowed the rescue to happen was that the monsoons didn't come. And towards the end of the report, they said, the monsoons should have been there. It's possible, isn't it, that the monsoons didn't come Because all of the people were praying. This is on like national radio. And they are positing that prayer worked. We might not all be spiritual. We might not all be religious. But there's a deep sense that there is something out there on a spiritual level. And the existence of a spiritual reality is right at the heart of Christianity. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So we want to read a passage from Colossians chapter 2. And then we'll unpack it a little bit. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So a brief synopsis of what Paul is talking about in this passage. God created everything good, and we made selfish choices. As a result, we are held captive to spiritual powers that were unleashed in our rebellion. But then Jesus enters into our lives and confronts the spiritual powers. And on the cross, he breaks their power over us and over the world. And then we are invited to live into the new reality that Jesus is creating, that begins here and is brought to to fulfillment when Christ returns. So that's kind of the story there in a nutshell. But unpacking it a little further, Paul mentions the spiritual world three times in this text. First in verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. Elemental spiritual forces. What does that mean? Well, here in Colossians, it can refer to a system which arose that took the place of God. A a way of thinking, a way of acting, a way of interacting with the world. And whenever something arises, a system arises that takes the place of God, that's where we always get into trouble. We try to fill the God void with something else that ends up being a poor second and generally destructive. What are the elemental spiritual forces? What could they be that make up this system? Well, evil in general, but also power, greed, lust, jealousy. We can just keep going. And we can see that today and truthfully at every time. These things arise, These systems that don't take God into account or try to take the place of God and then begin to wreak havoc. And understand that when I'm talking about systems that that rise up that try to take the place of God or are ungodly, that's not a partisan statement. One system of government or one political view is not necessarily God's way. They all fall short. And you may make a value judgment as to what you think is closer to God's will, but that is ultimately your opinion, which you are entitled to and I encourage. Just be careful how closely you identify God with your opinion and take care to be working from God to your politics, not the other way around, from your politics to God. So systems arise that don't take God into account. And there are all sorts of systems, not just at the governmental level, in our workplaces, in our families, in our society, all sorts of systems that don't take God into account and end up causing great damage by raising up other idols, other things that we worship, other things we care about, or captivating us with ideas and behaviors and goals that ultimately end up enslaving us. Elemental spirits might also refer to just the way things are in a broken universe. There are still forces that are ultimately spiritual, but there are also implications from things being broken, like the things that we want, how people will cling to power, or how we love being important and having more status than somebody else. You, You see this on Alaska Airlines. Somebody might be seated in seat 23B But then the flight attendant comes by and gives them a one-inch square of chocolate and says, thank you for being an MVP with us. And everyone else around is jealous. And they're like, oh, they're important. Well, Alaska probably buys those things in bulk at Costco. If the person was truly important, they'd be in 1A, not in 23B. But it's enough to appeal to our sense of needing recognition and owe the things we will do to get what we think we deserve. I've actually fallen into the trap of longing for that piece of chocolate. Actually, I'm more jealous of the chocolate chip cookies they get in first class. But there's the danger. Those things take us captive. That's why Paul says in verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. I need that piece of chocolate. I deserve that piece of chocolate. If I don't get that piece of chocolate, I don't matter as much as that person does. And we can substitute all kinds of things for that piece of chocolate, can't we? Houses, cars, spouses, sports our children in sports, jobs, bank accounts. I mean, we can substitute anything that we think will be a status symbol that will mean that we are more important. And if we don't have those things, we can feel less than other people, or we can even feel like imposters. I'm discovering that a tremendous amount of people go through their life feeling like they're an imposter. And one of these days, somebody's gonna come by and pull back the curtain and everybody will see they can't do what they said that they were going to do. Somebody's gonna figure out that you're faking it. But against the elemental spirits, we have a new identity in Christ that's not tied to stuff or other people's opinions of us or our performance. In Christ, you are valued. In Christ, you have significance. In Christ, your life has meaning. And that's worth a whole lot more than a square of chocolate. And that square of chocolate seems ridiculous, but we don't always see things for what they are, do we? Are there spiritual forces at work in the world and in our lives? Absolutely. But I also think we're tempted by the enemy within. Like our ability to rationalize almost anything that we want to do. Netflix says it's stealing but i disagree with their definition the government says that i should report that as income but i think taxes are outrageous so i'm not going to do it this is vegas baby it's different here and those things can end up being evil and counterproductive to our health and our lives i tell you one of the things that frightens me most is anger and mama bear doesn't get a pass here i think that we need to stay away from anger because it is so destructive. We do things that we would never do when we are angry. And sometimes we like to quote Paul in Ephesians, be angry, but do not sin. But when we quote that, I like to quote Dallas Willard, who said that Jesus was the only one who seemed to be able to do that, to be angry without sinning. So let's leave that for Jesus, and let's all just stay away from anger. The next time Paul mentions spiritual things is in verse 10. He, Jesus, is the head over every power and authority. That is super important because good and evil are not equal. Light and darkness are not equal. God and Satan are not equal. God is still in control. That's fundamental to our beliefs and fundamental to how God has revealed himself to us. Jesus wins. Jesus is Lord over every other power, and this is what begins to give us hope. Whatever you're tempted by, Jesus has power over that. Whatever you're enslaved to, Jesus has power over that. Your feelings of inadequacy, Jesus is bigger. Depression, Jesus' peace rules over that. A horrific event that happened to you in your past, Jesus can redeem that and heal you. Financial issues, racism, hatred, Jesus rules over all those things. They don't have the last word and they certainly don't have the last word about who you are. Recently, I heard a story that affected someone I know and like quite a bit. It was an absolutely appalling act of racism. It was sheer hatred and evil. And when it happened to them, it had to hurt. But this person's reaction was, I have bigger things to worry about than that. And that was rooted in a belief in who they were in Christ. And these people who did this hateful, awful thing couldn't take that identity away. Jesus rules over that kind of hate. That kind of hate doesn't have the last word about who you are. You may have been told that you're stupid and worthless. You may have been rejected and abandoned. You may feel like you're being crushed by whatever you're going through. You may feel like you are so far in, you can never get out. And that's where the third statement that Paul makes comes in, verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Here's what goes on at the cross. All of the evil of the world is poured on Jesus. All of the evil forces in the world are focused on destroying Jesus. It's the ultimate moment of evil versus good. Here is the opportunity that evil has to crush God once and for all. This is the absolute worst that they can do. Separation from God, Jesus cries out, why have you forsaken me? And then he dies in a horrific manner on the cross with all of the evil of the world poured on to him and by all outward appearances evil wins but god is still in control because good friday is always followed by easter sunday and by the resurrection the power of evil is broken when jesus is raised from the dead death is defeated god has destroyed the power of evil first corinthians 15 puts it this way For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The cross is the reminder that God wins. The spiritual forces that accuse you, those have been defeated by Christ. The lies that you've been told, the elemental spirits that hold you captive have all been defeated by Jesus on the cross. When Jesus died and rose again, he stripped away their authority. The earliest confession of the church is Jesus is Lord, not Caesar, not addictions, not culture, not your past, not any form of evil, no other power or authority. Jesus is Lord. And now because of that, you can claim a new identity in Christ. Because if Jesus has been set free, so have you. You can believe that and you can live into it. I was listening to a podcast the other day, I was on a very long drive. And they're talking about how you overcome temptation. And I loved what they said. The way that you overcome temptation is not to muster all your willpower to stop giving into it. We all know that doesn't work very successfully. You overcome temptation by finding something that you love more than the thing you're tempted to do. Find something more compelling Habits, addictions, patterns, behaviors, the way that you break free from those is that you find something you love more than those things. So what do you love more than your addictions? What do you love more than the things that you are enslaved to? What do you love more than that thing that you fail in over and over and over? What do you want more at a deeper level than what you get? from those things because oftentimes what we get initially looks good but then it turns into something destructive. So much of what gets us into trouble is actually just like comfort food. We have stress, we have pain, we're depressed, we're up against great challenges and we run for comfort food. It might be a substance, it might be the internet, it might be the wrong bed. But it looks like that will comfort us and make us feel like macaroni and cheese does. It just makes the world and its challenges and its pressures go away, even for just a few moments. But then it costs us so much more. This last week, Sylvia Sizer told me that she's been sober for 36 years. And congratulations to her, and congratulations to all of you who are fighting every day for sobriety. That is an an enormous undertaking. But the reason that Sylvia was able to be sober for 36 years is because she found something more, that she found something that she loved more than drinking. So what do you love more? And what can you do instead of those things. I mean, go for a run, serve someone, enjoy your kids loving you when you aren't chemically altered or fixated on something else. Find something you love more and do that thing. Live into the reality that the principalities and the powers and the elemental spiritual forces of our world have been broken. So what has God revealed to you that will satisfy those desires? And then I just wanna bring us back to the beginning. There's a couple of important points in verse six. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened into the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. I wanna make two important notes about that first verse. Continue to live your life is ongoing, rooted, is in the aorist tense. It means once and for all. We get rooted and built up in Jesus. That happens once. But then we need to continually live our lives in Him. We need to continually be strengthened in Him and make those choices so that we can continue to be built up. We have to continue to live into the new reality that our rootedness opens for us. So let me ask you three questions. What area of your life do you need to find freedom in? Number two, what part of your identity in Christ do you have trouble believing? And number three, how does the cross bring you hope?